You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Second Samuel 13, let's pray before we dive in. Father, this morning we come to you in the name of your son Jesus and we bless you according to your excellent greatness. You are exalted in the heavens this morning. Angels, archangels, saints, worship and extol you and they cry out, holy, holy, holy. We enter into that worship, we enter into that song, not only with our song, but with our preaching this morning. And we pray that by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit, That I would not only be anointed to declare, but all of us would be anointed to hear a word of your holiness, a word of your greatness, a word of your goodness. I pray for the person who's come in discouraged, the person who's come in unfocused, the person who's come in overwhelmed. That today they would, like Isaiah, see you in your temple high and lifted up and that your train would fill them. And they would say, woe is me for I am undone. Touch us, we pray. Change us and transform us for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. It's so good to be with you this morning, and it's going to be even better to hear you say Amen. So thank you for that. The story of Absalom is a story of a king's son. David had many wives. He had many children from his many wives, and Absalom was one of his sons. As we'll read later in the text, we discover that Absalom is stunning. It talks about King Saul, if you'll remember, and it says that he was the tallest man in the land, that he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He's tall, but he could have been ugly and funky. We don't know. Absalom, we don't know much about his height, but we know he was fine. He was the most, when when you talk about a man and you say that man is beautiful, ladies, you know what I'm talking about? My wife will say that. I'll be like, I don't think you should be saying that in front of me. She's like, oh, he is beautiful. I thought women were beautiful. And then I heard that men were beautiful, but not all men. There are a small group of men that are actually beautiful. You know, ladies, come on. I'm preaching to the women this morning. <laughs> there, are, there are plenty of handsome men, but there are a few that are just beautiful men. Right? This, I, see, this is good. We're starting off on good territory this morning. Absalom was beautiful. And they say he was the fairest of 10,000. And the other thing about Absalom that was an amazing detail, and this goes with beautiful men, was he had outrageous hair. He had thick Antonio Banderas hair, George Clooney hair, I don't know, pick uh, Denzel hair. Whatever hair you like, he had a lot of it. The Bible says they would actually weigh his hair when he got his annual haircut. It weighed like a pound when he got it cut. Friends, no, no, no. A pound of hair they cut off his head. I haven't had a pound of hair on my head my whole life combined all the time. One of his brothers was a half brother. His name was Amnon. And 2 Samuel 13 starts off with a story of Amnon and Absalom's first sister, his pure sister, Tamar. And it tells us that Amnon had the hots for his half sister. It's disgusting. It's gross. It's nasty. I want to draw your attention to something here. It says in verse 2 
of 2 Samuel 13. I'm going to be bouncing all over this text because there's just five chapters of crazy. Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. What we know is that he ends up scheming with one of his friends to come up with this devious plot in which he fakes like he's sick and he needs his sister, his half-sister Tamar, to come and take care of him. And she comes and she's a virgin and she's pure and she's never been married. And when she comes to take care of him, he rapes her. I don't know that there's a worse thing that you can do to a person. I can't even begin to relate, and I'm not going to pretend, of not just the way that it breaks a woman's soul, but the shame, feeling like everybody knows, everybody is disgusted. I would guess that more than one woman has wished that she had been killed instead of raped. Notice that his lust leads to despair. It always does, friends. Lust will always bring you to despair, and despair will force you to scheme. There's a sequence here that's quite simple, and it goes from lust to despair, from despair to scheming, and from scheming to disdain. Look at this in verse 15 of 2 Samuel chapter 13. After all of this has happened, after he got what he wanted, Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. Please let us stop and be sobered by this this morning. It doesn't have to be as evil and as dark and as twisted as raping your half-sister. But friends, lust is lust at the end of the day. And when you allow lust to take root in your heart, eventually you will become ill with lust. Eventually, you'll find yourself doing anything that you can do to get what you want. You'll violate your own conscience, friends. You will, in essence, spit in the face of God in order to get what you want. But here's the warped, twisted, sad aspect of lust. That is when lust is fulfilled, it does not produce satisfaction. It produces loathing. Let me say that again. When lust is fulfilled, it does not produce satisfaction. It produces loathing. You can get what you want, and then you'll hate the thing that you've got. We can start with fun things that a lot of you, my brothers and sisters, share with me. And it's called a fourth piece of pizza. And we can all laugh about the fourth piece of pizza until you stand on a scale or that shirt won't button anymore or the doctor says, you got to go on medicine. And then you start hating the very thing you were getting all of the time. Anybody ever have a credit card bill at the end of the month you couldn't pay? And you looked at that piece of furniture, that flat screen, those Jordans, and you hated them. Come on, don't act like I'm a liar, the only person in here. Come on. Lust will make you sick with despair, and it will get you scheming how I'm going to pay Rob Peter to pay Paul, and I'm going to skip this month's visa to play next month's MasterCard, and the next thing you know, you hate it all. 
What's happening at the end of this is Tamar's true brother, Absalom, the beautiful one. Notice his name, by the way, resonates with your church. Absalom, Salem, the father of peace. And what does he do? He notices his sister. Look at verse 20. Her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon your brother been with you? Look what he says. Now hold your peace. Stop. Absalom. Absalom. Hold your peace. The father of peace. Hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived, now look at this next phrase, a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Elie Wiesel has this line. He says, the greatest form of hatred is indifference. The greatest form of hatred is indifference. It is not my violence in speech or in action. It is my indifference to you. Absalom looks at Amnon and he says, you're not worth me even spending my bad language on you. You're not worth me working up bad feelings against you. You are nothing to me. Friends, we never want to get to that place. And notice this. Absalom is the third party here. Amnon raped Tamar. And Absalom has stepped in. And look what he's done. He's opened up his home. And he said to Tamar, come in. He's trying to give her counsel and advice. And it's not really working. Because it says that in spite of all of this, she is a desolate woman. In the Hebrew, it's a word that speaks to being a deserted woman or a desert or a wasteland. She is dried up. She is arid. She has no shade, no relief from the sun. She's living in inner turmoil and oppression. And Absalom is filled with hatred. But notice it's hatred all around because Amnon hates Tamar. Absalom hates Amnon and Tamar is deserted and broken. And this is what sin does. You'll notice that the scriptures tell us not to give ground to the devil. The scriptures tell us that the Lord came to Cain and said, be careful of sin. It's crouching at the door. Sin is an opportunist. See, we think sin is something we fall into. Sin is something you get tripped into. Whenever you fall into sin, it's not some sort of accident. It's an incident. And it's not a coincidence. It's a co-incident. In other words, your incident coincided with sin. And sin was crouching at your door. You didn't eat the fourth piece of pizza, Mark, because you just forgot. You ate it because you fell into sin. I'm preaching to me right there. I said, Mark, I didn't say anybody else. 
Some of us are caught up in a spirit. Listen to what I'm about to say. A spirit of anger or angst. Please hear me. If you're running on a short wick and it doesn't take much to trip you up. If you find yourself addressing people in tones and in terms that you have no business talking to people in. Could it be that sin was crouching at your door and you didn't pay it any mind and you let sin in the house? And listen, friend, sin making a fuss over here will produce something over there. And notice this, Absalom invites Tamar into the house and she doesn't get any better. She is desolate in his house. And so in our first vignette this morning, let me say this. Jesus is the true and better Absalom who prepares a place for us. But in this place, we don't remain desolate. We are restored. He gets justice for the victims, but not through the death of the oppressor. Through his own death, he gets justice, restoring the oppressor in the process. Let me say that again. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. There's space for you in Jesus. But when he brings you in as the victim, you will not remain desolate. You will be restored in the house of Jesus. And when you get here, friend, you want justice for your oppressor. He's going to get it. But your oppressor is not going to die because Jesus already died for your oppressor. Our second vignette finds Absalom cast out, living in exile for two years. He's out there. And he finds himself fleeing. I'm sorry, for three years, he is out there in exile. And in chapter 14, this prodigal son returns. I'd invite you to read the story this afternoon if you get a chance. But I'm just going to draw your attention to a couple of verses in 14. And notice it says here in the first verse of chapter 14 that Joab knew that the king's heart went out to Absalom. The king's heart went out to Absalom. And what happens is Joab sends a woman to King David. King David would not let Absalom back into town because he was a murderer. He killed his half-brother Amnon, avenging his sister, taking justice into his own hands. And he flees, living in exile as a son of the king. And David will not let him return. So David's assistant, his secretary of defense, Joab, sends a woman. And she sets up this story in which one brother has killed another brother. Sounds familiar, but David doesn't notice because years have passed. And he's listening to this woman's story. And she says, one of my sons killed another one of my sons. And now everybody wants to avenge the one son that I have left. And they're going to take everything from me. And it was in the family. Can you please help me? And David says, without missing a beat, he says, I've got you. You're covered. Nobody's going to touch your son. Your son is going to live. I'm going to fix everything. And the woman says... If you'll let me say something else, King David, uh, why won't you do this for your own son? You notice it's easier to restore other folks than your own situation? 
It's easier to step in and tell other people how they should get it right and how their family should be this, that, and the other. And meanwhile, we don't want to deal with the stuff under our own roof. And what happens is David is busted. He's like, oh, you got me. And it says here that he lets uh, Absalom come back into the city. Jump down to verse 24 of 2 Samuel 14. And the king said, let him dwell apart in his own house. He is not to come into my presence. So Absalom lived apart in his own house and did not come in to the king's presence. Can I tell you something? Presence is everything. Presence is everything. And we must not be content to be restored in our circumstances while being separated in our proximity. In other words, there are some of us that don't, are not people of presence and we're okay with it because our life is working out all right. In other words, Absalom, because he's back in town and he's with his friends and he's living in his house, he's able to live there contented by all of that goodness that's around him even though he's not in the king's presence. Can I encourage you? Can I challenge you this morning? Especially if your life was going good, if you feel like things are hitting on all cylinders, if you feel like your money's finally right, if you feel like your health is finally right, you've worked off the fourth piece of pizza that we've been talking about this morning. Come on, and now, now you got a date because you worked off the fourth piece of pizza. So, I mean, everything's hitting on all cylinders. Friends, we can be settling And content with good circumstances. But let me ask you a question. When was the last time you felt the presence of the king? When was the last time you heard the king's voice speak to your heart? When was the last time your body trembled under the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Don't settle for all those other things if you don't have the most important things. Don't settle to live in Jerusalem if you can't come into the house of the king. Don't settle to go to church every Sunday, be serving, be giving, be plugged in, but not feel presence, not recognize presence. You see, Jesus is the true and the better Absalom who has unbroken fellowship with his father. Notice what Absalom does. He waits two years and he tries to get into God's presence, excuse me, David's presence, and what happens? He tries two times to get the king's messenger to cooperate, and the king ignore, the, the messenger ignores him. Joab says, go away. This Absalom, no one to be praised for his handsome appearance as him, what happens? It says that Absalom had a field next to Joab, the messenger, and he took his servants and he set the field on fire. He burned the, f- the guy's field to the ground and said, oh, do I have your attention now? How you would like to have Absalom for a friend? <laughs> I mean, he's good looking. I expected more hands to go up. He's very popular. This guy is a little bit off. He calls once, nothing. He texts, nothing. I'm going to burn your house down. Oh, okay. You want to talk, right? All as a way to get back into the king's presence. And see, Jesus is the true and better Absalom who doesn't destroy with fire, 
but sends the fire of his spirit onto his people to bring them into fellowship with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our third vignette is what Absalom is most famous for. And it's his conspiracy and the consequence of his conspiracy in the 15th chapter. It says in the first verse that he got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. He had a posse, quite the posse. And it says he used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. Look at this. And when any man had a dispute to come before his father for judgment, Absalom would call to him. And what would he say? Where are you from? What city are you from? And when he said, your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right. It's a shame there's no one designated by the king to hear you. Oh, boy. And then Absalom would say, oh, that I were a judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. Wow, just like you gave it to Tamar, right? Isn't it funny? The things you can't provide for your closest friends and family, you're going to think you can try and provide for everybody else. You couldn't take care of your sister, but now you're going to take care of every person in the nation. He was convenient in this position. In other words, he was on the way. He positioned himself strategically by the gate. And notice this, he feigned interest in a person. Hey, what's your name? Where are you from? Notice that he's indiscriminate in his affirmation. Think about this. You notice the person never tells Absalom what their issue is, and he says, oh, it's good. It's all good. You notice that? I'm reading the text. I'm like, how did you get from where are you from to your situation is good? You didn't get any information. Listen. The person who is always the most conveniently placed in your life and is always telling you what you want to hear and is always affirming you is not really for you. Can I say that one more time? Because I don't want it to leave the uh, uh, oxygen and go out. The person who's easy and convenient and the path of least resistance in your life and always telling you they're for you is not really for you. You see, the Bible tells me that if you had a true friend, a, a, a true friend would challenge you. Like Neville Longbottom. In Harry Potter. Who put, who put uh, Gryffindor over the top. Why? Because he stood up to his friends. Oh, you didn't like that one. Proverbs 27 and verse 6. Says, faithful are the wounds of Neville Longbottom, of a friend. We want people in our lives that make us feel good. How about people in our lives that make us good? We want people that we're just going to affirm, oh, yeah, no, you should buy that car. Yeah, you should go out with him. No, you two should move in together. Bull stuff on all of that. Okay? You need a friend that will punch you in the mouth when you need it. I'm sorry, in the throat when you need it. 
That's what, that's what we need. And notice, Absalom makes his argument by comparing himself to his authority. I could do it better than the authority. By trying to exploit the perceived weakness in authority. If authority was doing their job better, you wouldn't need me to come and help you. And he's insisting he can do the king's job better than the king. And in the process, he stole their hearts. Friends, guard your heart. From out of it flow the issues of life. There's always going to be somebody with an impressive tale to tell who's trying to steal your heart. But you don't know. They're promising you something, justice, they couldn't provide for themselves. I'm going to drop a microphone right there. The person who's going to steal your heart is going to steal your heart promising you things they don't have. They're writing checks that their life and their character cannot cash. And they're telling you, I'm going to give you justice and I could do it better than the king. Bro, you couldn't do it for your sister. Why do you think you're going to do it for me? The first thing you have to know about a person who's trying to steal your heart in the worst sort of way. I'm not talking all romantic crap. The person who's going to steal your heart in the worst way is going to flatter you on the front and take the rug out underneath your pastor or your father or your mother or your husband on the back. They're going to tell you what you want to hear about you, and they're going to tell you juicy morsels about your leaders. Why? Why is he doing this? Why is Absalom sowing discord? Why is Absalom manipulating people? I don't think it's about political power. I don't think he wants to take David's place. I think he wants to crush David's heart. Notice that the person who's so wicked in this story, Absalom... His wickedness is not surface level wickedness. It's not face value wickedness. It's wickedness that is rooted down deep in his own hurt. Because what he's saying at the gate is if my father had done what he was supposed to do with Amnon, I wouldn't have been in exile. And since you couldn't do it for me, I'm going to hurt you. Friends, there are Absaloms all around us doing wicked things, burning down fields, lying and flattering and deceiving and sowing discord. And we want to look at all of the wickedness and say, that's wrong and that's bad and this and that. But there's something deeper. There's something under the surface that's driving it. And friends, hurt people hurt people. People who have been hurt will wound others out of that same pain. John Chrysostom, the golden-tongued preacher from the 5th century, said, For inasmuch as Absalom looked solely to the hurt of his father, in all other things he was blind. Can I submit that if you're sitting here this morning with daddy issues, you are blind to the pain and the damage you can do as long as that remains unresolved. As long as you let that be in the dark and push that away and cloister that away, lock the key, lock the closet, throw away the key, you put that skeleton away, 
you'll be blinded. Unresolved hurts blind us to our own destructive behavior towards innocent third parties. The people walking up to Absalom at the gate, they don't deserve this mess. They don't deserve this sort of treatment. They didn't deserve to have their hearts stolen. They didn't deserve to be brought into his treasonous behavior. But it wasn't about them. It was about him. And Jesus is the true and better Absalom, whose works and his judgment reveal the Father. They don't replace the Father. And he came to Jerusalem to do his Father's will because he's one with the Father. Absalom says, if you're seeing me in all of my beauty and my glorious hair, you're seeing somebody who's better than my Father. Jesus said in John 10, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Our closing scene is in the 18th chapter. And we're going to read starting at verse 8. 2 Samuel 18, starting at verse 8. There's a great battle. David has been temporarily dethroned in Jerusalem. Absalom has taken over because he stole everybody's hearts. This is a, this is a soap opera. This is a straight soap opera. This is us rated R version. That was a bad joke. Anyway, it's a TV show. You'll get it later this afternoon. The battle spread over the face of the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. This is like Harry Potter, man. The Enchanted Forest, or whatever it's called. Chapter, verse 9. Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule. Oh, I mean, think of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Come on, friends. He's riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak. It's a crown. And he was suspended between heaven and earth. And the mule that was under him went on. And a certain man saw it and told Joab, the dude whose field got burned to the ground. Behold, I saw Absalom hanging out or hanging up in an oak. Joab said to the man who told him, what? You saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. Listen to this. This man's heart was not stolen. The man said to Joab, even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. Oh, stop there for a minute. How do you look at an oppressor? When the oppressor is caught in a bad place, how do you look at the oppressor? Is it Absalom the abuser, the liar, the schemer, or is it the king's son? Is it Absalom the man filled with hatred, the destroyer of property, or is it the king's son? When you're looking at your oppressor, it's an image bearer of God gone wrong. Even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver. You're going to give me 10. I couldn't reach out my hand against the king's son. For I heard the king command you. Oh, come on now. I heard the king command you for my sake. There are people in my life right now that are hanging in an oak tree that I want to run through. 
And you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit bringing the voice of the Father who says, for my sake, don't run him through. Yes, you have reasons. Yes, you have cause. But for my sake, don't run that boy through. Yes, they hurt you. Yes, they lied to you. Yes, they stole your heart. But the king says, for my sake, do not run him through. Yeah, but, no yeah, buts. God, give me the spirit that says, if I had 10,000 pieces of silver in my hand, I would be faithful. It doesn't take anointing. It doesn't take the Spirit of God to exact justice or vengeance on a person. But boy, it takes a whole lot of grace to look at Absalom hanging in a tree and say, for the sake of the king, not for you. For the sake of the king, I'm not going to do it to you. This is a sinful father crying out, to protect an evil son from the wages of his own sin. How much more does our Heavenly Father call out to all of us in this room and say, don't run them through. And so for the person who's a victim this morning and for the person who's an oppressor, there is good news. If you're angry here this morning, if you're desolate like Tamar, there is good news. If you feel like you've been isolated, if you feel like you're disillusioned, there is good news. And if you have been betrayed, or if you're discontented in your soul, there is good news. And the good news is that Jesus is the true and better Absalom, who doesn't steal his father's kingdom, but he reveals it. He isn't caught in a tree trying to preserve his own life. He's carrying a tree and willingly surrendering his own life. And on a tree, he was not only wounded, like Absalom, he was pierced through. His piercing rescues you. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.